Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another in our series, Growing in Christ. Um, there are two primary purposes for this series. One is um, it's, it's a great opportunity to be grounded in fundamentals that every Christian needs for a healthy relationship with the Lord, but it's also coupled uh, with the study book. It can become a discipleship tool, and the idea is uh, for those completing it, either in a small group environment or in their personal quiet times, uh, and coupling that with listening to the messages, you're actually being equipped with a tool to help you make a disciple of new believer. I've used this book with a bunch of different new believers over the years. I went through something very similar as a new believer, and there's something about that one-on-one discipleship for a new believer that really does help them get established in the relationship with Jesus and helps them grow. Well, today our topic is assurance of victory over sin. Assurance of victory over sin. Um, <clears throat> my father grew up in Manchester, one of the northern cities of uh, Great Britain. And Manchester is known for a lot of things, but um, one of them it is, has the wealthiest sports club in the world, soccer club Manchester United, um, known for bands such as Oasis. Um, and it's known for something I'm very interested in. It has uh, the oldest portion of New Testament scripture in the world. That's the portion of John's Gospel in uh, one of their libraries and on display. And that is dated at just 130 years AD. So you're talking something very close to the original writings. Um, but um, Dad, growing up in Manchester, never seemed to lose some of his taste for British things. Uh, and I can remember as a kid in the uh, 70s, primary school years, and then the early 80s, coming into the high school years, Dad was a big fan of British comedy. He used to really enjoy that. Oh, I did too, actually, as a kid. If you're, this will take you back for those of my generation. You remember this one? The Two Ronnies. <laughs> they were very funny. Um, another one, um, The Goodies. Goodies, remember them? Uh, Faulty Towers. Um, and he used to like the comedian Dave Allen as well. And believe it or not, Dave Allen tells a joke that might be a pertinent introduction to our message this morning as we talk about victory over sin. And the first scripture is all about temptation. David, he starts with um, one of his typical jokes. There's three ministers of religion. It's got to be three, doesn't it? So it's three. And so there's, there's, a, there's, the, there's the Orthodox priest, there's a Catholic priest, and there's the Anglican minister. And they've been on a retreat together with a whole bunch of other ministers, and they were broken up where, you know, in groups where people knew each other. Now, these three all had churches nearby. They'd been friends, actually, for years. Well, um, the final session of the day, the last activity, was a challenging one. And uh, they, were, they were to share an area of temptation and sin in their lives that they needed to overcome. So initially, they're just chatting with each other, and one of them says, look, we better get with the program. And so uh, they, they have a look at the question, and there's, there's, there's a pause. There's quietness for a time. And then the orthodox priest speaks up. And he says, you know, as you guys are aware, back in, the, back in the late 60s, I was a teenager and got very caught up uh, going to the, the festivals and the music scene and all that. And I, I took a lot of LSD and hallucinogens and a bunch of other drugs. And, you know... Um, I find myself still, every summer holidays in August, um, 
I go to the festivals again. I still get into the drugs. I only do it that time of year, but I've really never been fully able to get over this. Could you pray for me? Now, the other two guys, I mean, they're just looking at him, bulging eyes, their mouths are open. I couldn't believe it. So then there's quietness for a little while. And then the, uh, the Catholic priest speaks up. And he says, look, I was actually determined to say nothing, but as you're aware, between my church and where my manse is, there's a brothel. And to my shame, I've been tempted at times to go to that brothel and I have I've actually several times I've paid for a prostitute. Other two just cannot believe it. They're just so shocked. So then um, there's another pause, there's another silence. And they're both, the, the Coptic, the um, Orthodox priest and the Catholic priest, they're both looking at the Anglican minister and they're waiting, you know. And uh, he said, look, there is an area of sin in my life, but I, you know, I, I value our friendship and I know if I share this with you, you'll, you'll never speak to me again. And they said, now, come on, we've been pretty vulnerable. It can't be that bad. And he said, oh, you'll think it is. <laughs> and they said, what is it? Murder. And he said, oh, no, 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 nothing like that. Anyway, they keep talking and eventually he says, look, okay, look, I'll tell you, I'll spill the beans, but only if you let me leave immediately. And they said, that's fine. We'll pray for you. So he said, well, look, my area of sin is gossip and I can't wait to get out of here and tell everyone about you too. Uh, jokes aside, let's have a, let's have a look here at uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, it tells us immediately several things, that scripture. First of all, what is true about every temptation you face? Well, they're common to people. They're not unique. Um, can, who can give you victory when you're tempted? Well, God says he's faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And thirdly, what does God do for you? He provides a way of escape, an opportunity to get away from that temptation. He promises that. Three great promises. Well, let's break it up phrase by phrase. First of all, Temptation is common to humanity, we learn. Temptation is common to humanity. You know, sometimes people might think, I'm the only person who faces this temptation, you know. Um, but, of course, it's not actually true. The various temptations that people face are common. They are common. And there, there is actually an encouragement in this. Because we learn from this that there are other people who know what you're going through. And that, you know, Christianity is supposed to be very community-driven. It means there are other people who can actually support you, pray with you, understand what you're doing, uh, what, what the struggle is. It says in James 1.13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And so we know from that scripture one of the reasons that we fall to sin or that we're tempted is because of our own desires. That's what we learn from that scripture. John tries to break it up for us. He says this, 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, notice John there tries to give us three primary areas of temptation. Now, scholars differ, Bible scholars differ a little bit of how they break them up. So for the sake of today, I'll give it three distinct categories. Um, John clearly had three categories in his mind when he wrote this. Uh, I'll, I'll do it this way. Let's start with the lust of the flesh. You know, I was um, looking at uh, a national Australian survey from a census uh, recently, and, um, you know, I discovered that even before all the lockdowns, that uh, 15% of Australians admitted they used illegal drugs. Uh, it's probably a lot higher than that if that's how many admitted to it. And, of course, it went up significantly during the lockdown periods. Um, so that's millions. That's millions. And... Uh, you know, uh, and that's substance abuse. It can be hallucinogens, it can be hard drugs, it can be marijuana. And the concept is these, uh, this substance gets me through life, I feel better for a while. That's the idea. But, you know, the challenge is these drugs are illegal for a reason. They're dangerous. They are dangerous. And uh, I had, um, it's uh, very sad, I remember one time around my, my home, I had uh, my nephew was over, he, a lovely young guy, he's about 27, and uh, very into his... Uh, talking about music and uh, actually into a bit of spirituality. We had quite a few spiritual conversations too. Um, now, I knew he was a user. Three weeks later, we hear he's died of a drug overdose. That's how real this is. Um, accidental, and that's one of the problems. Um, Tim, who was drumming this morning, one of our favourite... Uh, hip-hop slash rock groups is DC Talk. They're awesome. Um, so they, they had a span of, uh, started in the late 80s to the early 2000s, very successful guys. Uh, there they are as DC Talk. Now, there's Toby Mac now. He's the middle guy. He looks a bit older these days, doesn't he? He's still got a massive career. So Toby Mac's solo career, he's had uh, a whole bunch of number one albums in the Christian Charts USA, which is a big industry there, but his albums have sold enough. They are also, he's got a string of top 10 albums in the mainstream American charts. So he is, he is popular. In October 2001, sorry, sorry, in October 2019, his 21-year-old son, who was there next to him, Truett, he died from an accidental drug overdose. He himself was developing uh, rap music in the Christian sphere. Um, his dad said he didn't really know about the, the drug scene that he, he his son was a part of. He had no, no awareness of it. Um, he'd definitely say his son was definitely a Christian, but dabbled and experimented with serious drugs and killed himself, not deliberately. This is how real this is, friends. I'm talking a little bit about the physical flesh here, but what about um, what about the soulish flesh? I found it interesting in the Alpha course just last Tuesday. Um, another Toby, not Toby Mac, but Toby, who's one of the ministers at Holy Trinity Brompton, he's one of the presenters, and he's talking about uh, the lust of the flesh. He's talking about addiction, and he shares that you know he initially started with heroin as an example, but then he went on to say some interesting things. He said that gossip can be an addiction. 
anger can be an addiction. And he goes on to explain that. And um, we do see it in the scriptures, really. You look how it works, uh, Proverbs 18.8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost parts. Sounds a bit like a drug, doesn't it? And, and you think of how, how many people crave gossip, you know, on social media gossip or other, other forms of, of gossip. They want to hear the latest gossip and they often thrive on a lot of negative things as well. Um, or angry outbursts. You know, there's a chemical thing that can go on there too where there's this adrenaline rush. You know, I've got that off my chest, whether it's verbal anger or whether it's physical anger. And the person often feels a lot better after it. But they do a lot of damage along the way. Uh, let's look at another area, lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Let me tell you a story about this one. I bought a DVD about um, three years ago called The Heart of Man. It's a like a movie documentary thing from Korong. And it tells about ten different stories in there. I'll share the one about Trailer LaVaughn. He's an accounted executive, an accounts executive for many years. And uh, let's put up a family pic, boy. Here they are. This is a little bit later than the events that I'm about to share with you. Um, so Trailer, one morning when his wife was out at the shops, they've got little kids at this time, he's on his laptop and he just found himself like an adult chat room just popped up. He found himself browsing some of the ladies in that chat room, spotted a, a lady he found very attractive, and they started to communicate. And one of her messages to him was, I can be in Birmingham tonight if you want me. He doesn't know why, he just didn't reject that and didn't say no, didn't close that down, rather he said he'd be there. He had his first one-night stand. Well, this went on over the next months and years. He had six more one-night stands with six other women. And he remembers at the time thinking, what is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? I have broken my marriage vow. I have broken my covenant before God. Why am I doing this? Well, eventually, uh, his wife finds a receipt in his wallet. And the stuff on the receipt made her extremely suspicious. And then she got the truth uh, of some stuff he'd bought for his latest encounter. Well, she obviously was furious. And uh, they split up, separated. However, six months later, because um, he's still seeing the kids and she said, he's such a good dad. I just wonder if I could make it work, if I could forgive. And so they did. They reconciled. All sorts of promises were made. They got back together. But one year later, he did it again. And uh, he said of himself, I could not understand what was so fundamentally broken in me that my wife, she forgives me. She welcomes me back. I mean, to think that I could betray her again, I, what is wrong with me? Well, they stayed divorced for six 
years. The extraordinary thing is, for the same reason, his wife felt that he's such a good dad and deep down, I still love him. I feel deeply betrayed, but I still want to make it work. They had, they had another wedding. They redid their wedding. I think she was partly persuaded because he hadn't had an affair in six years. And um, nine years later, they would actually say, despite all the odds, they've come back together and their marriage has never been broken. It's a remarkable story. Let's have a look at the ministry they're a part of these days. Next slide. So they're, they're in a, uh, a ministry now called Undone Redone. An extraordinary story, but it reminds us of the lust of the eyes and what a powerful thing that is and how destructive it can be. Now, she had every right to divorce him. Let me just put up the scripture here, uh, Matthew 5, 31, the one before that slide. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Do you notice what it says there? Except for immorality. And that's exactly what he'd done. He'd broken the marriage vows. When the marriage vows are broken, any partner is free to remarry according to the scripture, which of course she knew. There's one other. The pride of life was the third thing that John mentioned. The pride of life. What is that all about? Well, let me suggest it's things like it can be the, you know, pride in the quality education that you've received, the respected career, the purchase of various status symbols, perhaps living in a prestigious suburb, a luxury house with, with expensive furniture. It might be the boat, the extravagant holidays. I remember sharing that at my last church, and I knew that that actually was 75% of them would have fitted that category. So seriously. <laughs> and so and I, wanted, so I didn't want to be condemning about that because, you know, those things are not necessarily bad in themselves. But the things the world offers, we can be consumed by them. We can be consumed by them. And that's when it can become unhealthy. The pride of life can become something that can become sin sinful. I'll give you an example of this. Um, friends from years back, there was a, a couple who had decided to go into the ministry later in life, Marty and Morty. <laughs> became AOG minister, or Marty became an AOG minister, and um, they said that their life, they, they'd made a lot of money in real estate, and, uh, you know, that was uh, kind of their, their, their world, and they used to drive a very expensive car. And they said going into the ministry, they, you know, li lifestyle changed. So they, they bought just a much more normal car, and they said had two friends that they thought were really good friends. When they changed that status symbol, their friends wanted nothing to do with them. It's like they, they were just at a different level now. Oh, no. no. That's how real it is, friends. Pride of life can be a real thing. Well, three primary areas of temptation there, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Another source of temptation, let me share this. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, there's another battle Christians have, which the unchurched don't have, and it's this reality that Satan is trying to devour you. 
prowls around like a roaring lion. We're in that spiritual battle where Satan himself will try and see you tempted. His purpose is to destroy you. Let's look at the second phrase within that passage, 1 Corinthians. It says, God is faithful. Number two, God is faithful. Um, I've occasionally had uh, people over the years in my church office where um, you know, someone is, is sharing with me you know, that they'd fallen to some area of temptation, but they've kind of said, but anyone would have fallen. Anyone would have fallen to this. You know, the circumstances were such, anyone would have fallen. But of course, actually, the Scriptures tell us that God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So in other words, he doesn't let you be tempted to such an extent that you can't overcome it. He promises that. Powerful promise. It's good for us to know it. That's why I'd like you to memorize this verse. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We can have that confidence. And, you know, I think Jesus understands the temptation. I remember doing an alpha group one time about three or four years ago. And I had a lovely Muslim couple at my table, a uh, young married couple, um, very well-educated uh, very interesting comments they would make. And at one point I said to them, um, this personal relationship with God, is that something that you know uh, wouldn't be a part of your experience? And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We, we understand Allah is personal. But later when we got to about study six on prayer, and the Lord's Prayer, of course, our Father in heaven, and of course actually it's a very intimate term, it's like Daddy, Papa in heaven, they really could not find that comfortable there. They could not think that they could talk to Allah in those sort of terms. So I think I was right. That intimacy isn't really there. But you see, they would certainly say, Allah knows nothing of temptation. But Jesus did. Jesus fully understood temptation. Look at this verse. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, Jesus was tempted in every way. He was fully human. Yes, he's the divine son of God, but he is also fully human. He was tempted in every way. So he understands. And so it reminds us when we see a promise like that last one that he's going to strengthen us and protect us, he understands what you go through. He himself was fully human and tempted in every way. Because we know he understands us, we can even be more confident, therefore, of his help. Third portion of that verse, point three, a way out. A way out. What's it saying? He promises to provide a way of escape. We, of course, need to be looking for that, but he promises to provide a way of escape from that temptation. Um, you know, one of my favourite characters in the Old Testament, and Tom was preaching about him uh, some months back, is Joseph. Amazing, uh, amazing guy. 17 years of age, sold into slavery by his own brothers. And then in that environment, Joseph is bought by Potiphar, who works for the Pharaoh. Very wealthy man, very powerful man. And he starts to realise that Joseph's got skills. Educated, he's a good manager, and he ultimately becomes in charge of Potiphar's entire estate. Joseph was well-built and handsome, it says in the Scriptures. And Potiphar's wife, unfortunately, took interest in him. 
And uh, look, knowing Potiphar was wealthy and powerful, it's very likely his wife was extremely beautiful. She would have been a temptation. But time and time again, Joseph flees. You know, he just tries to get away from her. One time so much so, she's holding his coat so tightly, he has to leave the coat in her hands. Coat's got Joseph in a lot of trouble. Um, But that, that thing of fleeing temptation, Joseph looked for the way of escape. What are some things you can do to keep temptation from leading to sin? Well, let me share with you five principles that help us see the way of escape. First of all, Matthew 6, 9 and to 13, the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it goes on to say in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You notice that Jesus, as a pattern of prayer, he even includes something about temptation. Lord, may we not be tempted by the evil one. We should be praying that, shouldn't we? We're encouraged to pray about temptation. So first of all, prayer is key. You know, if we want to see that way of escape, we need to be people of prayer. Secondly, Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. And then in verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there's a couple of things there. You know, um, we need to try and live out the scriptures. But secondly, we need to hide it in our heart. Now, what does that mean? On a desk, it could mean meditating on it, definitely reading it. But some would say, the navigators actually say, these guys, it's memorizing as well, memorizing. And one of the reasons I'm encouraging you to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13 um, is because there is, I think there's an effectiveness about taking some time out to memorize that scripture. I remember it was also a memory verse in the, the New Believers book that I did. And I remember finding it difficult to memorize that week because you had, you had a week to memorize it sort of thing. And um, the guy deciphering me said, well, it's probably difficult because it's such a strategic scripture. I just thought it was because it was a long one, but perhaps it is. No temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to people. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so you can enjoy it. It's good to have that in our mind. God's word. Point B, God's word is key. Going to be an overcomer, God's word is key. Look at 1 John 5, 4. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So another key, if we're going to overcome victory over sin, is faith. Faith, point C, faith. And now it's not, you remember last week I was talking about praying to the cosmic powers of the universe. Or, um, you know, sometimes you'll see someone win an award. You know, it might be a music award and say, if you just believe in yourself. It's not those sorts of faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's a specific faith, faith in Jesus. Hebrews 14, uh, 4.16 says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's throne of grace. And this is one of the realities of being a Christian, which I think separates it from all other major religions. And it's this concept of grace. 
You see, if you do fall, know that we can approach the throne of grace. We can find forgiveness. If you do fall, approach the throne of grace. You can find forgiveness. If you do fall, approach the throne of grace. Find forgiveness. I remember my, uh, the uh, principal of my Bible college one time, he was talking about forgiveness that the Lord offers. And he used a cup to illustrate it. And every time we fall, it's like we've broken the cup. And then there's Jesus handing us another vessel with a cup. And hold that one, break that one. Hands us another one. And by the end of his sermon, he said that he, he has this illustration where Jesus opens up this huge cupboard of endless cups. I'll hand you another one. I'll hand you another one. God's grace. Point D, understand God's grace. Understand God's grace. Because not understanding God's grace, you fall to sin and you can be condemned. You know what gets in your mind? The evil one can get in your mind. One of his demons gets in your mind and says, see, told you you couldn't do it. You'll never be able to do this Christian thing. You're just being ridiculous. Just forget it. You'll never make it. That what? Without grace, those thoughts can just cause you to fall away. I've, I've, I know people who've done that. They've fallen away because they knew they had a battle with sin. We need to understand God's grace. One more. James 4.7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Wow, that's good news. Our first four points, A, B, C, D, were all about submitting to God. We get those right. We're told if you submit to God, you can resist the devil. Yes, he can try and bring temptations, but you have the power to resist him. And we're told to do that. So point E, resist the devil. Resist the devil. So my five principles, five principles to help you choose the way of escape, prayer, God's word, faith in Jesus, understand God's grace and resist the devil. Now, why don't we just stand up with me for a moment? I'd like us all to read the primary verse for this week. Let's stand up and read it together. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Shall we read it slowly together? On the count of three, we'll start reading. Just after three, if I was going to say four, that's when you start. One, two, three. No temptation has overtaken you. Amen. Assurance of victory over sin. As the worship team returns, let me pray for you. Remain standing. Father, here today as we've um, been confronted with a very challenging topic, Lord, I want to pray for each one. Help us, Lord, in the journey of all of this. Help us to be a people who endeavor to be holy and yet at the same time a people that understand your grace and mercy. We pray that our relationship with you might be vibrant and alive. We pray that we might have those things like prayer and God's word and faith in Jesus and understanding grace and resisting the devil in our lives, that we might see the way of escape clearly. And so, Father, as we try and memorize this scripture about temptation, a scripture to help us be a people who are overcomers when it comes to sin, we would have that assurance of victory over sin. Father, we pray that your grace and strength will be there for us. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to be a people that see that way of escape. Help us to be a people that continue to grow in you. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.